Good morning and welcome to Chapel Street Church, South Street Campus. I'm so glad you've gathered here for worship. A couple things before we begin. First, we want to encourage you and equip you to be a chapel on your street. As we like to say it, get to know your neighbors and uh, serve them in some way. So we've created these little packets called Be a Chapel on Your Street. They're available just in the lobby at the kiosk. Pick one up after church today if you haven't picked one up yet. Have some ideas for how you might connect with and begin conversations with neighbors uh, uh, this fall sometime near where you live. So pick one up today. We hope you will. And then also let you know that on the weekend of November 25th, 26th, which is the weekend after Thanksgiving, we are going to be celebrating child dedications at all our campuses. So if you have a younger child or you have a child who has a younger child, uh, you can pass the word. Uh, we are dedicating children. You can find all the information on our website for when the class will be and so forth. So uh, feel free to pass that word along. Then a couple of announcements just for our campus here. Uh, we are going to celebrate baptism here on November the 12th. That's two weeks from today. And we have a class that I'll lead today right after the service in the fireplace area. So if you're interested in baptism, uh, you want to learn more about it, um, meet me in the fireplace area following the service with those who've already signed up. And this time we're going to have an option, too, for those who have limited mobility. Instead of getting in the tank, we're going to baptize in a different way. So if that fits you and you've always been wanting to be baptized but didn't know how, uh, join us today. We'll, we'll talk you through that out there in the lobby. And lastly, uh, we've become aware that uh, for some it's hard to see the, the slides on the screen for the hymns and so forth, so we've begun uh, providing a printout of the service so you can pick one up and read it and see the hymns and see the music. Um, so if that is you, these will be available just outside the doors every Sunday morning. Just pick one up. They look like this, and you can find um, everything that will be on the screens is on, printed on here, so you can pick that up and follow along for our service. As we go to a time of prayer as a church family, we mentioned just a couple of things. Today we continue to pray for Art Gustafson, who is in Michelson Center, um, recovering from surgery. Keep he and his wife Karen in your prayers. And we received word as well this week that Donna Lundberg is now under hospice care, so we'll pray for Donna and her family as well. And we also remember our students. We have 150-plus high school students on a retreat this weekend. We pray for them as well as their pastors and leaders um, for a great time of spiritual encouragement and a renewal. So let's bow in prayer. Lord Jesus, the choir anthem reminded us that you are the truth in whom we trust to strengthen faith and comfort grief. So we come to you today as the one who is our faithful friend, our companion, our guide, our savior, the one who hears our prayers. And we lift up to you our friend Art Gustafson as he continues to recover at the Michelson Center. We pray for Karen as well as she cares for him, for wisdom in his care, for comfort for his heart, and uh, strengthening to his spirit as he senses your presence with him in, uh, even, uh, during these days. We pray for Donna Lundberg and uh, her care team as she is under hospice now. We uh, thank you for her, and we pray that she will be very aware of your closeness and your uh, love for her and the great hope you have for her, even uh, during this time. Uh, Lord, we pray for her family as well. Lord, we know there are others who are struggling with uh, illness at this time or with loss, and we ask you to comfort and, uh, and 
give them your presence and peace during these, day, these days. Lord, we uh, pray for our high school students uh, that are off on retreat this weekend up in Lake Geneva, uh, some 150-plus students, and then all the leaders and the pastors who are speaking and caring for them. We pray that this will be a meaningful time, a time of fun, of course, but also meaningful, that uh, you will encourage those students and speak to them, that they will, at least some of them, have a life-changing experience and they'll always remember uh, this weekend in 2023 when they met you in a new and personal way. Lord, we're all very aware of the brokenness of the world. We know the world is broken, but at times like this, when events happen, we are reminded of, what, of the presence of sin in our world and the destructive nature of that sin. We think of those who have been touched and uh, devastated by the shooting in Maine. Uh, we pray for those whole communities and for your churches there as they care for people. We know there's war going on in Israel and Ukraine and even in other parts of the world we rarely hear about. Uh, and we scarcely know how to pray sometimes except that your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, and that your people, your church, would be able to bear witness to the hope that you bring, to be instruments of peace in those places in whatever way possible, and that we too, in our world where we live, would be able to be um, encouraging and to be servants and to be those who uh, know and love even our neighbors uh, who live near us right now and give us chances to reach out and serve them as well. Thank you for your uh, meeting with us this morning. Thank you for the presence of your spirit. And we ask you to bless our time together as we look into your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, it is good to be with you. I'm so glad that I get to come. I was mentioning to a couple of people in the lobby this morning. It's really great for me uh, as the campus pastor at North Aurora just to get to come and visit the other campuses and uh, to spend time with Pastor Brian and just be in church with my church family across at a different campus. So I, uh, I thank you for having me here this morning. Glad to, to be with you. Well, Tuesday, uh, as many of us know, is a very popular event in the hearts of children across America. But if you are a theology or a Bible nerd like me, Tuesday has a different significance because it is Reformation Day. How many of you have even heard of Reformation Day? Oh, that's impressive. I'm proud of our church. Reformation Day is an important day in church history. If you are unfamiliar with Reformation Day, uh, it is kind of the commemoration of when Martin Luther, the German uh, monk and theologian, nailed his 95 theses to the door of a church in Wittenberg to kind of confront some things in the church that had gone way off track. And again, it's kind of a chance for nerds like me. I mean, I have yet to dress up as Martin Luther, but uh, I think that that's coming, especially because I'm bald. It kind of helps me out with the costume. But uh, Martin Luther is known for a lot of different things. Of course, his 95 Theses being the main one, because Martin Luther was very good with his words, very good with his words. He was uh, kind of a master orator. Uh, but one of my favorite things to tell people about Martin Luther is he was brilliant at issuing insults to his opponents. So I wanted to share a couple of them with you this morning because they, people just don't insult like this anymore, and I just wanted to share them with you. So one of the ones that he's famous for is he, he would say, I would not smell the foul odor of your name. 
Now, come on. I would be proud to receive an insult like that. What a fantastic insult. He said, you seem to me to be a real masterpiece of the devil's art. Oof, that one's a little rough. But my favorite, which has a little bit of sarcasm to it, he says, you are an excellent person, as skillful and as clever and versed in the Holy Scriptures as a cow in a walnut tree or a sow on a harp. Now, I don't know who received that particular jibe. It was probably not a great day for them. But Martin Luther is a master with this. Even now, his writings continue to be prolific and important in the lives of pastors and theologians and church historians. But words have power, whether they're spoken in jest or in encouragement or if they're spoken negatively. One thing that Martin Luther is unfortunately also famous for is for some very... Uh, anti-Semitic things that he said. That even now, as, as a pastor, when I read his encouraging words and, and the amazing things that he said about Christ and about the Scriptures, when I read the things that he said about Jewish communities, it breaks my heart. And it's hard to see these two things existing at the same time. I wrestle with that. I wrestle that words can be at the same time beautiful and encouraging, and yet at the same time out can flow from the same person, the same mouth, words that are discouraging, words that are cruel and ungodly. And so it's no surprise when we think about the power of, the, of words and what they can do in our lives and we see them in the lives of historical figures like Martin Luther, it's no surprise that the Bible has much to say about how we think and use our words. How we think and use our words. We'll be reading this book right now, James. It's a letter written by Jesus' half-brother, James to the Jewish communities spread all around the area, new Jewish Christians, and trying to help them think through their faith. James was started out in his life as a doubter of Jesus. When he was with his brother on earth, he would say things like, my brother's a lunatic. It's recorded in the Gospels for us. Really hard. And yet, when Jesus was resurrected, he appeared to his brother, James. And James's entire life was changed. And James became one of the strongest campaigners for the message of the Gospel. So much so that he became the pastor of the church in Jerusalem, probably next to Peter and John, the most important person in the beginning early years of the church. And in this letter, he's writing to encourage Christians to put their faith to work, trying to encourage them that what we believe should affect the way we live. It should affect the way that we think and act and the way that we speak. Deeply concerned that our faith not just be something that exists in our minds only, it tells us in chapter 1 that if we have looked into the mirror of, of the law of liberty, if we've looked into the mirror of the gospel and the message of Jesus, we should see something about ourselves, understand something about ourselves, and it should compel us to change, to change direction in the way that we live. And as we come to chapter 3, James is going to kind of focus in on something very practical, on the power of words. He's going to tell us about the power of the tongue, the danger of the tongue, and wisdom for the tongue. So we'll start by talking about the power of the tongue. Now, if I was to ask you, what do you think one of the uh, highest sought-after careers of young people today is, I'm sure that you would not guess the one that has topped the list for many people, which is to be an influencer. An influencer is a word that's kind of recently been added to the dictionary, about 2019 they put it in, and an influencer is someone who has their own YouTube or social media channel where they can share all of their opinions, all of their thoughts, all of their perspectives, and gather a kind of a following of people who will listen to their little videos. And I read this week that of Gen Z, people who were born between 1997 and 2012, so currently kind of age 11 to 26, 
that 25% of that generation have aspirations of being an influencer. Now, what I find strange about that is you don't need a YouTube channel to be an influencer. You don't need social media or technology to be an influencer. Everybody is an influencer by virtue of their words because words have power. This is what James says in chapter 3. He starts by saying in verse 1, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, also able to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder, wherever the will of the pilot directs. And so also the tongue is a small member, and yet it boasts great things. So James has just finished the discussion right at the end of chapter 2 of talking about faith and works, that what we believe should be deeply interconnected with how we live. And in fact, a faith without works, a faith that is a belief without action, is dead. And so now he comes to something very practical, and he starts by talking to teachers. Now, teachers are very mission critical in the early church. In those days, many people who were coming to be believers were illiterate, and so they had to depend on the teachers in the early church to be able to help them understand the message of Jesus, understand the message of the Bible, and, and, and walk in their faith. Teachers had a tremendous amount of authority and influence. And I don't know the exact circumstances. People have, have guessed at what was going on in the early church that would prompt James to want to talk about this. But it certainly seems evidence that James cares deeply about those who are claiming the title of teacher, but perhaps not living it out with their words. He wants to talk to those people. James wants to talk to people who want the title without responsibility. But I don't want you to count yourself out this morning if you are not a teacher, if you're not a pastor, you're not a theologian, because this is not speaking exclusively to that crowd. James is certainly looking to them and asking them to think about it, but I would put to you that all of us are teachers. Every single one of us, by virtue of our words, are teaching something to the people around us. We are training people around us with our words. The preaching team here at Chapel Street, we get together every Thursday to go over our notes and the different things that we're going to be talking about that weekend because we want to encourage one another and we want to help one another to be able to speak rightly, to speak truthfully, to speak what the scriptures are saying because we know our words have power and the more influence you have, the more power those words have. But if this pulpit were to disappear and I wasn't a pastor in a church, the importance of my words doesn't diminish, doesn't change. Every one of us in the circles that God has placed us are teaching people. Particularly if you are a follower of Jesus, if you say that you are someone who has surrendered your life to him, then the people around you will see your words, hear your words, and be influenced to think one way or another about who God is and what he's done. All of us are teachers. That's why James has already spoken about the power of words in this letter. He said in James 1.19, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. That's what he goes on to say in James 2.12. 
So in both chapters that we've read already, he's had a lot to say about the power of words. He gives us this analogy now in chapter three of a bit in a horse's mouth. Now, if you've ever seen uh, like the, the horse races on TV or anything like that, you know that that bit is very small. Can't even see it, hidden inside of the horse's mouth. And yet, it allows a jockey to pull an animal that is sometimes in excess of a thousand pounds in the direction that they want him to go. Or if you see the cruise liners, that you, you know, if you've ever been on a, a Disney vacation like Pastor Kenton, you know that those huge, colossal ships, massive ships, are steered by rudders that are a fraction of the overall size of the vessel. Small things have dramatic influence. That's the point that James wants to make. Small things make a big difference in direction. And what he wants to make clear is the words that you speak have an incredible influence over the direction of your life. They are steering you one way or another. And in fact, they are steering those around you one way or another. The question is, what direction? What direction do your words steer you and your neighbors? In your home, with your family, with your parents, with your children, in your workplace, when you're on the phone with a customer service representative. A couple of weeks ago, I, uh, I had ordered some new jeans from Old Navy, uh, and it had taken maybe two or three weeks, and they still hadn't arrived, and you know, I wasn't in any rush to get my jeans, and so I'd let it go. But after three weeks, I thought, okay, I better figure out what's going on. I've, I've paid some money for this. So I call up customer services. It was very early on a Saturday morning, had kind of kids running around in the background, so it probably wasn't in the best of mindsets to begin with. But we begin the conversation. It turns out that the original uh, package has been lost. And so they're going to send me a new one. They're going to refund me for the original one. But before they can refund me, I have to confirm the address that's on my credit card. So I gave them my address. And they said, oh, I'm sorry, sir. That's not the address that we have. And I thought, well, that's, that's the only address I have for my card. I don't... So it begins this kind of backwards and forwards. And, and of course, I'm staying very calm. I'm, I'm being relaxed. No, of course I'm not. I'm getting more frustrated with every moment. And of course, this customer service rep is simply trying to do their job. And I, I realized by the end of that conversation, the tone that I was taking with her was just not good. I was so frustrated that I wasn't getting my way, that they weren't responding the way that I wanted, that it wasn't as easy as I wanted it to be. And when I hung up that phone, I just felt a terrible conviction in my heart. It's, though she doesn't really know me, my words have just had an influence on her, the way that I spoke to her. And who, who knows how many countless other conversations she's had that day that have gone the same or worse. It's hard to be a customer service representative. And as a Christian, even in such a mo small mundane moment, my words had power. And I could have made a choice to use them better. Some of you can easily remember the best words that have ever been spoken to you. I think about words that my mom has spoken to me. In the months since I've lost my mom, I've gone back and read through things that she's written to me because her words meant a great deal to me. I remember words that my sister spoke to me when I was younger that encouraged me that in, in my walk with Christ that compelled me to love him more and want to follow him. I think about words of Pastor Brian and Pastor Jeff and other pastors here at the church have encouraged me in my ministry and helped me to be better at what I do. But I bet if I asked you, could you remember the worst things that have ever been said to you? Sometimes, unfortunately, you can remember those even easier. You can remember things that were said to you on a playground when you were in elementary school. You can remember things that a parent said to you in the heat of a moment when they lost their temper with you, frustrated with you. 
Those words stay with you. We often kind of sing the old nursery rhyme, sticks and stones can break my bones. But I think the truth is, words can scar our souls forever. Bones heal, but sometimes the wounds that words cause don't. Let me ask you again, where are your words taking you? Where are they directing you? Where are your words directing those who hear you? Whether you speak it to them out loud, whether you've written it to them, where do your words take others? Those of us who have looked into the law of liberty, who've looked into the mirror of the gospel that James told us about in chapter one, we should know the power of our words and the danger of our words. We should know that we cannot afford to be careless with our words. So let's talk about the danger of the tongue. The danger of the tongue. When I got married here at this church, it was a wonderful day, and we left here to go to the Hotel Baker for our reception. Uh, and of course, it came to the moment when everybody's going to be doing their speeches. And I didn't really think much about this at the time until Janiz's dad got up to give his speech, the father of the bride's speech. Now, I knew he was probably going to rib on me a little bit, but we'll, you know, we'll see what happens. What his speech consisted of his, was him kind of going back through our social media accounts and reading some of the things that we had written in the lead up to the wedding. So Janae, being the wonderful person she is, was so excited to get married, uh, and she'd written kind of on a weekly basis, it's, it's 10 weeks until I get to marry Andrew. It's seven weeks till I get to marry Andrew. I thought, that's wonderful. And then Kevin says, let's take a look at what Andrew wrote on his social media account. I knew things were going to go badly from that point because nothing I've ever put on a social media account closely resembles anything useful to society. But then uh, he started saying, so Andrew had a countdown of his own in that same time frame, and he begins reading them out. Ten weeks until the new Man of Steel movie is released in the movie theater. <laughs> Six weeks until the new Superman movie. At the same time my wife was counting down to marrying me, I was counting down to watching a movie. I was embarrassed that day, humiliated that my words came back to bite me in front of my friends and family. Now, that's a funny example, but how many of us have had words that have come back to bite us in far worse ways? How many of us could think of things that we've said carelessly, thoughtlessly, that have caused tremendous damage, that we wish we could take them back? Read every day about actors and politicians and public figures whose words cause destruction and can be revisited on them later in life. There's a danger to the tongue. Jim says in verses 5 through 9, How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a weld of unrighteousness. The tongue is set amongst our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird and reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil, full of deadly poison. And with it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. See, James, in his kind of classic blunt fashion, is unmistakably clear about the destructive danger of our words, of our tongue. It can cause tremendous harm. I think those words are appropriate not only for the church in every generation, but particularly for our time because we live in a culture that is, in general, quite careless with the words they use. 
We live in a culture where words are used often aggressively, ungraciously, angrily. Unfortunately, even Christian culture has its circles in which it's better to insult and to criticize than it is to bless and build up. Proverbs in the Old Testament is full of wisdom on how we should think about our tongue. Proverbs 26, verses 18 and 19 says, Like a madman who throws firebrands and arrows and death is the man who deceives his neighbor and says, I'm only joking. Now, there are many Bible verses I would say I don't enjoy reading, and that's one of them. There are many times in my life that I've tried to cover up cruel words by saying, I'm only joking. I didn't really mean it. If you've been on the receiving end of cruel words, you know that I'm only joking doesn't, doesn't fix the wound that's been caused. Jesus himself spoke many times about the power of words. Perhaps James is drawing on some of that because in Matthew's gospel, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, you have heard it said of those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. Frightening words. Seriousness with which Jesus looks on the way that we speak. Goes on to say in Matthew 12 that men will have to give an account on the day of judgment for every careless word that they have spoken. When I read that, I'm deeply convicted because unfortunately there are many careless words in my life. And Jesus tells me that those words mattered. Words can cause terrible destruction. Our words can direct people away from the truth of God and away from the love of God. James calls them a fire because words can burn. Words like, you're a waste of space. You're such a disappointment. You are unforgivable. Phrases like, you never listen. You always let me down. You'll never change. Words like that remain with us. Rumors, gossip, lies, the countless ways in which we use our tongue to spread falsehoods, to spread criticisms, to spread slander. It is a fire that burns down whole forests. Dangerous. We are often far too permissive with ourselves when it comes to the way that we choose to speak. One of my favorite pastors once spoke about this very problem in his life, a guy called Paul Tripp. He was speaking of kind of his relationship with his wife, his marriage, and he said that one of the difficulties he would often have is he would become very frustrated and irritated when his wife wasn't ready to leave for an event at the same time as him. Common problem in many marriages. And he told this story. I wanted to read it to you just because it is so impactful. He says, about 45 minutes later after we began getting ready, I walked into the bathroom where my wife Luella was with my nine-year-old son, and I could tell that she was not near being ready. So I began to say helpful things to her, like informing her that it was not an Easter dinner, it was an Easter breakfast. She found that very helpful. I told her that a couple of our children were already in the car as usual, waiting I reminded her that I was an elder in the church and my arrival before the ham and eggs was very important to my ministry. And about then, my nine-year-old son said, Daddy, may I say something? I should have said no. 
He said, Daddy, do you really think that that's the way a Christian man should speak to his wife? Now, as a counselor of a person, I'm pretty good at these kind of conversations. So he said, well, what do you think, son? And I love the son's response. He says, well, it doesn't matter what I think, Daddy. What does God think? Now, imagine we had that very wise young man with us here today asking us, what does God think about our words? What does God think about the way that we speak to our spouse, to our children, to our parents, to our neighbors? Not just out loud, but what we post online. Even what we speak in the privacy of our own thoughts. We can think about the tongue as something that speaks out loud, but the truth is the tongue also speaks in the quietness of our own heart. What do we say about people to ourselves? Words that no one but God would hear. James finishes this little section by saying the real danger of the tongue is that with it we can bless our Lord and Father and with it we can curse the people who are made in the likeness of God. Perhaps we could put it this way. On Sunday we can sing songs of praise to God with our mouths and yet on Monday we can curse our neighbors. Let me ask you, how does God speak about people? How did the word of God, Jesus Christ himself, speak about his own enemies? those who persecuted him. Upon the cross when he was being nailed in utter agony, he prayed for his persecutors. And the words that he spoke was, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. James, the author of this letter, we're told in kind of chess historical myth uh, that perhaps at his uh, martyrdom when James was thrown from the top of the temple, that he survived for the briefest of moments after he had been thrown by his persecutors. And like his brother, he is said to have prayed for them and asked for their forgiveness. Those are tremendously powerful words. Words that God would have on all of our tongues for the people that wound us, for the people who persecute us, for the people who let us down. We are still called to bless them with our tongue. I put to you that one of the greatest acts of worship you could ever offer to the God of heaven is thinking carefully about how you speak. One of the most pleasing gifts you can give him is a tongue that blesses your neighbor, your spouse, your parent, your child, even your enemy. Jesus' harshest words were reserved not for those that were broken and sinful, but for the religious leaders who would bless God with their mouth in the synagogue and yet curse their neighbors who needed their grace on the streets. The tongue is dangerous and we should seek to bridle it. But unfortunately, James tells us the tongue cannot be tamed tells us about the importance of our words and yet warns us we do not have the power to change the way that our tongues speak. It is untamable. G.K. Chesterton called it the untamable two-ounce beast. So what are we to do? How can we become a kind of people that speak more like God? And the answer is that we need wisdom from above. Wisdom from above. James begins this final part of chapter three by saying in verse 10, from the same mouth come blessing and cursing and my brothers, these things ought not to be so. 
Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. There's a lot happening there in those final verses. But I think two things that are important for us as we think about our words and our tongue. First is James is giving us a look into where the fire of our tongue really comes from. And secondly, he's offering us hope on how the untamable can be tamed. Starts by telling us about a spring and a fig tree and points out that what comes from both of those things is due to its nature. What comes from both is determined by its nature. Sometimes you and I, we tend to blame our careless words on circumstance. Well, the way he was behaving, I couldn't, what was I supposed to say? Well, she brings this out of me. Whenever she treats me like this and she talks to me like this, this is, this is what happens. But friends, circumstance don't control our tongues. It is not what is outside of us that controls our tongues. It's what's inside. It's our nature. It's our heart. The real problem in taming our tongue is our heart. Jesus said in Luke 6, The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of the evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart does the mouth speak. Words that come out of our mouth are actually revealing something deeper. It's revealing what is inside of us. If I had an orange this morning, or any fruit for that matter, and I held it in front of you, and I put pressure on that fruit, and I squeezed it, and the circumstances around that fruit pressed in on it, what would come out of the fruit? If I had an orange, would apple juice come out of it? No. The only thing that can come out of an orange when it's squeezed by circumstances is orange juice because that's its nature. That's what is inside of it already. What's inside our hearts? When life circumstances are difficult, when emotions are high, when we have been wounded and life squeezes on us, what is it that's in us that comes out? What is brought out of us? It was convicting for me this week, thinking about this passage, considering what might be in my heart. But James offers hope. He asks a rhetorical question. He says, who is wise and understanding? I think he's beginning to answer how we can tame the untamable song. Who has the wisdom to tame the untamable? And he says, the one who shows his works in the meekness of wisdom. Now, that's an interesting word choice. He uses the same Greek word, praas, meekness or gentleness that Jesus uses in Matthew 11 to describe himself. Jesus says, I am gentle or meek and lowly in heart. First clue to where the wisdom from above can be found is Jesus, the one who is meek. 
points out that wisdom comes in to help you realize your need for a tamer of the untamable. 1 Corinthians 1 tells us, because of him you are in Christ Jesus who became to us wisdom from God, a wisdom from above, righteousness and sanctification and redemption so that it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. James is warning us that a, a, to- a tongue that lacks wisdom, that doesn't have the wisdom from above, boasts. But Paul tells us in Corinthians, if we look to the, wa- the one who is wisdom from above, we'll boast in him. He is the embodiment, Jesus is, of all the things that James describes. In verse 17 of chapter 3, when he says that the wisdom from above is pure, peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere, who is he describing other than Jesus? Which of us could say that those things can all be found in us at all times, but they can be found in Jesus? Jesus has come to make us like himself. It's the reason why in verse 14, James tells us, don't be false to the truth. Don't be false to the truth. Well, what truth? The truth of the gospel. The truth of the message that you and I are broken, sinful, flawed, that there is something malfunctioning deep within us that needs to be made new. And that's why Christ has come. When we're not false to that truth, when we commit to that truth, then we don't, we don't, complain about the circumstances of our life, but we bring our broken hearts before God and say, make it new. Make me new. Tame my untamable tongue. Look at your words. What do they reveal about your heart? Don't be afraid of looking into the mirror of the gospel and discovering that perhaps your heart needs to be made new. Even for me, I've been following Jesus for a good deal. This week, the Lord reminding me again to bring whatever it is that's in my heart that is causing my words to curse rather than bless, to bring it to him because he's good, because he is the one who became sanctification and redemption for me. When we see the mercy of God towards us and the love of God towards us, it will compel us to likewise be a people of love, be a people of mercy. That's why Paul says in his letter to the Ephesians, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Growing up in Christ means speaking in two ways, speaking the truth and speaking it with love. Sometimes we can be very good at one, and not so good at the other, and yet we are called in Christ to do both. To not simply be people who say, well, I told them the truth, so it's on them. But to say, how can I speak the truth graciously, gently, with humility, with a desire for the hearer to be built up? Or perhaps some of us fall on the other side. Our words are full of love, but not always full of truth because we're afraid that the truth might wound. The truth might be too much. The truth might cause a break in relationship, and yet the truth is it's not loving if we're not being truthful. And sometimes, yes, words do wound, but words can build up and bind up and heal and support and encourage. God longs for us to become a people who speak truth and love, and the world is also longing for that as well. And so this morning, if your heart has not been changed, if you are fearful that perhaps 
you are in need of a tamer of the untamable, please know that Christ waits with arms wide open and that all that is needed is for you in the quietness of your heart to pray and to call out to him and say, Father, tame my untamable tongue. Give me a new heart. And if you call yourself a follower of Jesus today, if you have tasted and seen the grace with which God has spoken to you through his word, then I encourage you to revisit your words to see what they reveal. Our words reveal who really rules our hearts. Let it be Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for this chance to come to your word. And I will be the first to confess in here that my words have not always honored you and they have not always blessed my neighbor. But God, I thank you for sending your son wisdom from above who can tame the untamable. Father, I ask for him to make my heart new again today that I might bless those who are made in your image. And Father, I pray for that for us for a church that we would be a people known for words that bless and build up. May we be a people who speak truth and love because our hearts are ruled by your love. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Just a reminder before the benediction that if you're interested in sharing in baptism on November the 12th, I will meet you in the lobby in about 10 or 15 minutes and we'll go over things there. Receive now today's benediction. May we go now in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and may his word fill our minds and may his spirit guide our hearts and direct our words. Amen. Amen.